Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Tim Ballard, hero of the hit movie Sound of Freedom, has been removed from his leadership role in two different nonprofit organizations, one of which is Operation Underground Railroad, which was the subject of the movie Sound of Freedom. We'll have some details. Also, the Bible translation organization Wycliffe Associates is asking for big donations, but giving few details about how they plan to use that money. And we've got some tips for donors wanting to give to anti-sex trafficking ministries. We begin today with news from Texas, as the debate over women pastors has now moved to the state level. Delegates to the Baptist General Convention of Texas adopted a statement last week urging its staff to affirm women in ministerial and leadership roles. The Texas Convention was the first state convention of Southern Baptists to weigh in on the issue since the annual SBC convention last month. That's where the SBC voted to expel two churches, including Saddleback Church, over having female pastors. The SBC also voted to adopt a constitutional amendment saying that only males could be pastors at any level. In Texas, Meredith Stone, who heads up the Texas-based Baptist Women in Ministry, presented the motion, and she wanted it to say the convention affirmed women in all ministry and pastoral roles, but the wording was changed to leadership roles in the final version. Texas pastor Dustin Slayton proposed the wording change, saying that the original phrasing would send an unkind and unwelcoming message to churches that hold a conviction that the Bible provides clear gender distinctions when it comes to church leadership. Most state Baptist conventions affiliated with the SBC meet in the fall, so we'll see how this continues to play out. Also this week, more SBC news. SBC President Bart Barber met with leaders of the National African American Fellowship of the Southern Baptist Convention. This came after black ministers expressed concern about how the recent SBC votes would affect women in ministry in black churches. The fellowship's president, Gregory Perkins, requested the meeting, and he said many of his organization's churches assign the title pastor to women who oversee ministries of the church under the authority of a male senior pastor. Examples would include children's pastor, worship pastor, or discipleship pastor. On a video posted to the fellowship's Facebook page, Perkins said that he and other leaders had spent a day and a half in intensive conversations and dialogue with Bart Barber, the SBC president. Here is our single goal, he said, to ensure that the SBC family remains unified. We are one family. We have all kinds of different aspects of our family, but we're one family. Barber posted in the video that he is not the doctrinal czar of the convention, but strives to aid Baptists in fostering helpful discussions with each other, both on and off the convention floor. Warren, our next story is about Tim Ballard, who has gone from two nonprofits that he had been leading. Tim Ballard is the hero of the hit movie Sound of Freedom, who founded the anti-trafficking nonprofit Operation Underground Railroad. 
But Ballard, who was OUR's CEO, quietly left the nonprofit before the film was released amid an internal investigation. Ballard has done extensive publicity for the film, which opened July 4th, and has earned a surprising $100 million at the box office. But he never mentioned or explained his departure from OUR. Ballard has also left the Nazarene Fund, where he was also the CEO. The Nazarene Fund is another anti-trafficking organization, which was founded by conservative commentator Glenn Beck. Neither nonprofits has explained when or why Ballard left. Ballard has been raising funds for a new nonprofit called the Spear Fund that he introduced on the Fox News show Jesse Waters Prime Time this week. A Spear Fund website requests donations but doesn't say what the group plans to do beyond education, action, redemption, spirituality, and peace. Operation Underground Railroad has ties to both the Nazarene Fund and Mercury One, which is another of Beck's organizations. The Ministry Watch has reported on all three of these organizations in the past and found significant concerns. We have, uh, you might remember a couple of years ago when the U.S. forces left Afghanistan, the Nazarene Fund raised tens of millions of dollars to transport believers trapped in Afghanistan and fly them to safety. But they've not been forthcoming about how exactly they spent those funds. Also, Tim Ballard and OUR have been the subjects of a Utah investigation for fraud in its fundraising and witness tampering. Uh, They have also engaged in risky rescues that were filmed by camera crews. Still, the film Sound of Freedom has been praised by evangelicals and other conservatives and was screened at one of former President Donald Trump's golf clubs. Trump recently appointed Ballard to a federal advisory panel on human trafficking. Later in the program, we'll have tips for donors who want to give to anti-trafficking ministries, but want to make sure their money is being well stewarded as well. Now, Warren, let's hit one more story before the break. It's a tragic story of an eight-year-old girl, a pastor's daughter, murdered almost 50 years ago, and her killer has finally confessed. Nearly 50 years after the skeletal remains of a missing eight-year-old girl were found, a pastor confessed to police that he kidnapped and killed her. Authorities charged former pastor David Zanstra, who's 83 years old, and he lives in Marietta, Georgia, which is another northern suburb of Atlanta, on Monday with criminal homicide, murder of the first, second, and third degree, and kidnapping of a minor. According to the Pennsylvania District Attorney's Office, on August 15th in 1975, Gretchen Harrington left her home at approximately 9.30 a.m. to walk to her summer Bible camp in Marple, Pennsylvania. The camp was conducted between two church campuses, Trinity Church Chapel Christian Reformed Church and the Reformed Presbyterian Church, which was right next door. Zandstra, uh, who was arrested, was the pastor at Trinity. Gretchen's father was the pastor of Reformed Presbyterian. The victim's father became concerned after she failed to appear at Reformed Presbyterian with the other children. 
Concern for her whereabouts quickly spread, and uh, very soon at 11.23 a.m., Zanstra himself contacted the Marple Police Department to report the girl's disappearance. Now, almost exactly two months later, in October of 1975, a jogger discovered the skeletal remains in Ridley Creek State Park. Officials identified the remains as indeed being Gretchen's. A witness connected to the initial investigation reported seeing Gretchen speaking with the driver of a car resembling Zanstra's. Police interviewed him in October of 1975, but he denied seeing the victim on the day she went missing. According to a criminal complaint just made public, police narrowed in on Zanstra as a suspect in the case earlier this year, in January, in fact, when new witnesses came forward. And earlier this month, Pennsylvania State Police officers traveled to Georgia to meet with Zanstra. After confronting him with these new witnesses' statements, he confessed to the crime, and police immediately filed an arrest warrant and criminal complaint and took Zanstra into custody. Officials have denied Zanstra bail, and he remains detained in Cobb County, Georgia. The Harrington family released a statement on Monday describing Gretchen as an amazing and sweet and gentle girl. Family said that they were seeking closure with Zanstra's arrest, and they had issued a statement, and it says in part this, it's difficult to express the emotions that we are feeling as we take one step closer to justice. The abduction and murder of Gretchen has forever altered our family, and we miss her every single day. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, Wycliffe Associates has sent out a fundraising appeal seeking donations for work being done in the Middle East, but are giving very few details. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next, the story we promised before the break, it's a story about Wycliffe Associates, an organization we've written about in the past. Wycliffe Associates is one of the most recognized Bible translation groups in the country, and it recently sent out a fundraising letter urging donors to move quickly to share the scriptures with a multitude of lost people in the heart of the Middle East. The letter does not name any countries or languages that will be the subject of the fundraising effort. It mentions that the Christians there are under attack, so the translation training workshops that Wycliffe will undertake must happen in a neighboring country. Are you suggesting that these claims are not true? 
Well, while security concerns are legitimate and there are places in the world where it is dangerous to be a Christian, uh, security concerns uh, are often used as an excuse for a lack of transparency. And security and transparency do require a balancing act that can be difficult to navigate. Experts agree an organization ought to be as transparent as possible, but without jeopardizing the lives of individuals. However, it is just not clear what's going on in the case of Wycliffe Associates. Wycliffe Associates claims in the fundraising ed letter that launching a translation of the Bible takes just $19,000 with this strategy. But it doesn't explain how much the total project will cost, how the funds will be used, or any sort of a timeline for completion. And our reporting in the past has indicated that this $19,500 number is difficult to back up. And this is not the first project Wycliffe Associates has publicized without including many details. That's right. Last August, Wycliffe announced a project in Southeast Asia in collaboration with eight other groups to work on a Bible translation. The project involved seven of the region's language communities, but when Ministry Watch sought more details on the Bible translation effort, where it is taking place, a timeline, what other organizations were collaborating with Wycliffe Associates, partner facilitator Mark Tabor declined to give many details. He wouldn't name the other organizations involved. He said it was due to sensitivities of the local context, but said that it partnered with a local organization that recruited other organizations, including three church denominations. Ministry Watch recently reached out to Wycliffe and Tabor multiple times to get an update on the progress of the Southeast Asia project, as well as details for the Middle East project, but received no response. According to its 2022 audited financial statement, Wycliffe Associates had revenue of nearly $40 million, but it had expenses that exceeded that, uh, $45 million in expenses. It spent about $7.5 million on fundraising last year. In the Ministry Watch database, Wycliffe Associates earns a donor confidence score of 64. That is not our top rating and says that if you're going to give, you should give with caution. It has also earned a D, as in Delta, transparency grade because it doesn't belong to the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. In fact, it was uh, its membership was terminated while it was under, actually it resigned from ECFA membership while it was under review for compliance with their standards. It also doesn't publish its Form 990 with the Internal Revenue Service, so we can't really tell how much its senior executives make and other vital information about the organization. Wycliffe Associates has an efficiency rating of one out of five stars, according to the Ministry Watch financial efficiency ratings, and that's the lowest financial efficiency rating that we give. Well, our next story also concerns security and transparency issues, this time in India. According to the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, conditions for Christians and Christian ministries in India have worsened over the last several years, and it recommends the United States designate India as a country of particular concern because of its systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. Christians do make up about two and a third percent of India's population, according to the Department of State. But as a religious minority, Christians are suppressed by the national government through surveillance, harassment, uh, uh, demotion or uh, confiscation of property and detention under the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act. 
Christian ministries are targeted by the government under the Foreign Contributions Regulation Act, or the FCRA. Can you explain what that is? Well, according to the State Department, amendments to the FCRA passed in 2020 that reduced the amount of foreign funding that Christian groups can use for administrative purposes and added onerous oversight and certification requirements. Now, since Prime Minister Narendra Modi took office in 2014, the Indian government has revoked permission of more than 16,000 non-governmental organizations to receive foreign funding using the FCRA. Uh, Vijayes Lal, who is the General Secretary of the Evangelical Fellowship of India, said that it is a deliberate assault against the nonprofit sector, and that includes the churches. Even giants like World Vision and Compassion International have been impacted. In November 2022, World Vision reportedly had its FCRA license suspended. And back in 2017, Compassion International was forced to shut down operations in India due to restrictions on funding. The United Nations has criticized the FCRA in recent years. They said this, the FCRA has been invoked over the years to justify an array of highly intrusive measures, ranging from official raids on NGO offices and freezing bank accounts to suspension or cancellation of registration, including of civil society organizations that have engaged with UN human rights bodies. Warren, our next story is a bit different because it's not a story about an event in the news this week, but about an issue that is being debated in some missions organizations. Can you explain? I was at a Bible translation conference recently, and I heard a statistic that really struck me. Uh, One of the speakers said that 90% of Muslims who convert to Christianity actually revert back to Islam. Uh, Now, I've been hearing a lot of amazing stories about Muslims converting to Christianity. In fact, two of my friends, Abdu Murray and Nabil Qureshi, are among them. So I asked Steve Raby, one of our writers, to take a look at that statement that 90% revert and try to find the truth. What did he learn? Well, this claim resurfaces occasionally among Christian missiologists studying the evangelization of Muslims, including John Spann's 2020 article in the journal Global Missiology entitled Reversion, Why Do Christian Converts from Islam Return to Their Old Religion and What Can Be Done to Prevent It? And while it is true that evangelism in Muslim countries is notoriously difficult, uh, years ago it was not uncommon, in fact, to hear missionaries to Muslims say that even after decades of devoted service, no one or only a few Muslim believers ever came to Christ. And that cemented a mental image of global Islam as an impenetrable fortress raised against the gospel, and it spread. But that was years ago. Have times changed? They have changed, uh, says veteran missiologist David Garrison, who wrote a book called A Wind in the House of Islam, and a growing number of converts are adding up. Plus, not all Muslim countries are created equal. Garrison said this, uh, look at present-day Iran, where there's widespread discontent with the Islamic Republic and the Islam that goes along with it. There's been a massive turning away from Islam. 
Islam, according to David Garrison, with people turning not just to Christianity, but also to hedonism and to drugs. But it is true that persecution and family and social pressures are strong on Muslim converts to Christianity to go back to Islam. Yes, Garrison doesn't believe, though, that 90% number, and neither does Mateen Elas, an executive with a voice of the truth and a former pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Colorado Springs. Most Muslims who become followers of Christ know in advance that they could pay a huge cost for their convictions, so they consider them carefully before taking the step to leave Islam and enter the church, according to Alas. He also said this, I would guess that of those who say they are converting to Christianity and then later return to Islam, their conversion was probably for ulterior motives, such as a romantic relationship, maybe to gain refugee status, or simply to enjoy the benefits of a Western lifestyle. Uh, Elas remembers only one case of reversion among true converts to Christ in his experience. Uh, the new believer sought fellowship in a church but was shunned by some and rejected by others over fear that he was a mole spying on them. He wound up becoming disaffected and returning to the Islamic fold where he still had family connections. So where does this 90% number come from? Kevin Greeson is a veteran missionary church planter, and he's the author of a book, The Camel, How Muslims Are Coming to Faith in Christ. He has never encountered a single baptized Muslim convert to Christianity who has returned to Islam, yet his book has been misquoted to make this claim. Greeson did say that years ago, and in some context, 90% would deconvert, but that was not an overall number. That was just in a very few countries. In South Asia, for example, he said that reconversion or deconversion has been very minimal. What's the bottom line? Well, experts on all sides of the debate agree that reversion is a valid subject that merits real research, but nobody seems to be doing much research, which is why the old and seemingly inaccurate number of 90% regularly resurfaces. According to David Garrison, I'm not aware of any global research on this subject. They also agree that there's a need for effective discipleship when people convert from another faith to Christianity. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome 
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? This month, Bible printing ministry Bearing Precious Seed celebrates 50 years of printing and sending Bibles worldwide. BPS, Bearing Precious Seed is an extension of a local church's ministry, First Baptist Church of Milford, Ohio. It owns a fully operational printing press, and it prints Bibles, New Testaments, and smaller books that have the Gospel of John or the Book of Romans. According to its website, it's given away more than 200 million scriptures and distributed them to missionaries, national pastors, and their congregations across the globe. BPS says that it has printed scriptures in 65 languages and distributed them in more than 130 countries. In 2021 alone, BPS printed 13 million copies of scripture in 21 languages. That's amazing, considering this is just one local church doing this work. That's right, and we have a lot more about this ministry on the front page of the Ministry Watch website this week. Who do we have in the ministry spotlight this week? This week, we feature a ministry that we've already talked about today, and for the past several weeks, in fact, it's Operation Underground Railroad. One of the reasons I wanted to feature this organization is simply that we've gotten a lot of questions about it. So we've posted their financials, salaries of senior executives, which include a half million dollar salary for Tim Ballard last year, as well as a whole lot more. Now, if you have questions about Operation Underground Railroad, or if you want to know where we get our information, I recommend that you check out this week's Ministry Spotlight. And we've also gotten a lot of questions about anti-sex trafficking organizations in general. We have, and that's why my editor's notebook column this past week featured advice for giving to these organizations. Warren, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will check out that article, but don't leave us in suspense. What are the key takeaways? Well, number one is to give locally. Before you send money off to a national organization that is taking in tens of millions of dollars already, see if there's a ministry in your local community. Uh, my experience is that there likely is. Investigating that ministry first uh, could be really valuable to them and to you. Big ministries can afford slick marketing, and it makes everything that they do look good, but don't be seduced by that slick marketing. Number two is do your research. Ministry Watch tracks the 1,000 largest ministries in the nation at our Ministry Watch 1000 website. Many of the largest trafficking organizations are there, but as I said before, most of the smaller ministries may be too small to make our list. So you can learn about those ministries by going to the ProPublica website, Charity Navigator uh, website, or another uh, website where you can look at the local or the Form 990s of the organization. Number three is volunteer. Local ministries usually need volunteers to work with the people they serve. Many of them offer volunteer training that will help you understand how to be more effective in your work for them, but which will also educate you about the human trafficking problem in your area. Well, that's great advice. Any other recommendations? 
Well, yeah, number four is make sure you give to a Christian organization. Many of the organizations involved in sex trafficking are not, in fact, Christian groups. For example, neither Operation Underground Railroad nor the International Justice Mission are explicitly Christian organizations, though IJM does have many Christians on staff. Some of these non-Christian organizations are doing great work, But without bringing scripture and a biblical worldview to this problem, we are likely not to see lasting change. And I make no apologies for recommending that you give to and advocate for explicitly Christian organizations. And my final piece of advice is, you know, no matter who you give to, do give and also pray for these organizations. Don't let the negative headlines about OUR in particular freeze or frustrate you into inaction. Uh, View the negative headlines as a gift steering you away from the bad actors and towards the good actors. Human trafficking is a scourge, and it's a horrible scourge, uh, in this beautiful but broken world. Uh, local human trafficking organizations are a great place to start the process of restoration and being a repairer of the breach. And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference? Nazarene Discipleship International has released a mobile video game called Journey of Grace that was developed by George Herrera to provide a video game platform to communicate the gospel and theological concepts with kids that are aged 4 to 11. And the Slavic Gospel Association, which is an Illinois-based Christian mission that supports local evangelical churches across the former Soviet Union, paid to fit 10-year-old Mariana with a prosthetic after her leg was crushed by a shell that exploded next to her home in in Ukraine. SGA is supporting local churches and is hosting tens of thousands of children this summer, a lot of them refugees from the Ukrainian conflict. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a reminder that Ministry Watch is a donor-supported organization, and if you uh, make a gift during the month of July, you'll receive a copy of my book, Faith-Based Fraud, Learning from the Great Religious Scandals of Our Time, as a thank you gift. Just go to Ministry Watch and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And I should say, we've got just a few months, two days left in the month of July, and we're still a few thousand dollars short of our goal. So if you've been thinking about a gift, now would be a great time. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Jessica Eduralde, Adele Banks, Steve Raby, Christina Darnell, Rod Pitzer, and you, Warren. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. you.